What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on today's CSG special. Before I get started, I would like to talk, like to, talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, one of the, uh, the, 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 the good things about some of the restrictions being lifted is that now you can go down and do some outdoor uh, dining, but if that's not your thing, and if you're like me and you can't do that sort of thing, um, be sure and go out to uh, um, Blanchard and just pick yourself up a bottle. Uh, I like the 2017 Cabernet, but if that's not your thing, they also have Pinot because it's a, you know, grapes from Sonoma County, California, but, you know, they also have partnerships with Western Slope Wineries, uh, which is uh, primarily the Grand Junction area, but they got one in the Elk Mountains too. So it really is a local business and really local businesses need your support right now and desperately. Uh, they are once again located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Moisee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They are on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. Um, when you, they go to bfwdenver.com and book your virtual wine tasting. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest CSG podcast. And this is a CSG special. Uh, we have uh, a special guest with us today. Um, uh, a, we, I have several things in common with this individual. Uh, we both have long hair at the moment. Um, we uh, both love the Nuggets. Um, I am assuming he's taller than me because I'm really short. Uh, but we have other things in common. I do a politics show. And he writes about politics for uh, The Bulwark. And uh, it's really my distinct pleasure. Oh, and also I should add uh, Bon Vivant, uh, noted raconteur and man about town. Um, it is Tim Miller from The Bulwark. Hello, sir. How are you doing? Hey, Jeff, minor Twitter celebrity as well. You know, yes. so um, <laughs> we've got the, I've got that as part of my, my bio. Right. I, uh, and uh, it's, uh, I was noticing, I, you know, like I've followed you for a couple of years now and I was noticing that uh, uh, just you, the, the amount of likes you get on your Twitter account is like far supersedes mine. Um, but then I realized that you tweet about things that people can react to, whereas I just tweet weird crap. So <laughs> I guess that, that is the difference between you and me there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's been it's been strange. I was, as a uh, my, my that uh, I had to have a big Twitter turnover, you know, as I'm sure we didn't get into. But I was a Republican operative who was one of the uh, so-called Never Trumpers, and so, you know, a lot of the people that used to like my tweets um, stopped liking my tweets, and I oh. have a lot of new people that like my tweets now. So that's so you know, it, it all you just gotta you just gotta find your audience, Jeff. I'm, I'm sure once I'm sure once the nuggets you know soar to glory here, you'll see those like numbers start to follow. I, I think it will. If, if I cared more about Twitter, I think I'd probably put more effort into it. But I found myself getting disillusioned with like 
boost the tone. So I started like backing off and then I, 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 I do the self, I do, I, I do this stuff thing like, like projecting that I don't care. So that's really just me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've all been there. <laughs> so uh, Tim, like I, I, a lot of people are going to be, want to be introduced to you and your connection. And one of the reasons uh, that I'm having Tim on here is that he is a Nuggets fan. Uh, I'm presuming that you're also a Broncos fan. I am. Okay. Uh, yep, so yeah, that's right. wh- what is your origin with uh, Denver sports? We moved to Denver. Um, uh, like everybody else, there are no natives, you know, are you not native King of I, Thornton? I You're am. Native? I am. Um, okay, congrats. I, we didn't get the, we didn't get the bumper sticker. We moved <laughs> in 93 um, from Missouri, not California. Um, right. So, you know, um, at least a little different there. And um I was in fourth grade at the time. Don't start counting my age. Um, and so, don't worry, I'm older than uh, you. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I was a big, uh, big basketball fan. My my grandfather was um, uh, played for the St. Louis Billikens back when they were in their heyday. It was on their NIT championship team. And my father, you know, we had season tickets to the Billikens games growing up in St. Louis. And uh, we didn't have an NBA team, obviously, so I didn't. I didn't have an NBA team. I, I was. I, I liked Magic and the Lakers, um, I guess. Um, and then you know, or we'd moved into early Bulls, I got bandwagon era by then, by the early '90s. And so, uh, I was happy to adopt the Nuggets. I get there right at the right time because the next year is the '93 '94 team that that beats the Sonics. My and wheels. So yes. you know, I'm. <laughs> yeah, so we are there for Game Four of that series which wow. had the robert pack three-pointer there at mcnichols um, yeah which you'll you'll remember better than me i guess i was <laughs> you know in fifth grade but, but it was exciting it was honestly probably the most exciting sports experience i had really been to i mean you know the st louis had baseball but you know baseball has just a little bit less of a juice you know professional right. baseball so um you know, the energy in there for that, that playoff game. Um, so I got pretty hooked. My little brother um, also was, uh, is much better at actually playing basketball than me. And uh, so he was very hooked and um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that was, that's, that was basically my Nuggets adoption. Then I was in Denver all the way through um, when I went to college. So I, and I guess that 93, 94 team ended up kind of being the the high watermark of the nuggets for a while when i was actually living in denver <laughs> but um i've flown back for our you know little uh um you know uh, spates of success in between there uh for playoff games to see the family and go with my brother to games and and, and such and uh you know thank god for nba league pass and you know here we are well um i you bring up that team but that team is really really close to the 93 94 it's like my favorite team of all time and it is it, it's remarkable how what an impact on that i mean i was 16 um when that was going down and uh it made a, a huge massive massive mark on me I and mean, it's disappointing too because the rest of that decade the nuggets were absolute garbage and it was just they were so Terrible. hard to watch and uh, i i watched every game of the bill hanslick uh coached 11 win team and uh i will always remember Corey alexander signing a 10-day contract and leading the nuggets to uh three wins in four or four games with saving them from uh having the worst record of all time in nba history 
<laughs> so. might, have, might have benefited from having the worst record, though. Yeah, no, the Hanslick years were bad. He went to, um, was it that, or I guess it was one of my new parents' new church he goes to. So, you know, he's still a good guy, bad basketball team. Uh, the, um, Jay, thank God for Jalen. You know, the team was bad, but Jay, mm-hmm. I was a big Fab Five, you know, as a kid. Loved the Fab Five, had the black knee-high socks and oh, wow. the whole deal. And Jalen was my favorite player on the Fab Five. So Nuggets drafted him. And um, uh, so, you know, despite the team being bad, uh, at least I kind of had my Jalen Stan uh, dumb <laughs> there during the middle school years. Right. And um, where did they do – you probably remember better than me. Where did they do training camp back then? Uh, they, um, and they, so I do remember after Jalen got drafted, being very excited, going down to training camp, getting them to sign a ball, hang out. They had several places. They they, they would go down Colorado to Springs? Colorado Springs is where they would go in the 90s, yeah. was, was down to the Springs. Kind of like yeah. the Broncos were going up to Greeley back then. And uh, that yeah. was, that was, it was, it was, yeah, they would go down to the Springs. Lufonzo Ellis, my favorite Nuggets player of all time. Yeah. And... He, uh, I, I met him briefly. Uh, Alex English signed my ball, mini ball in 1989, 88, after a game. And uh, that always stuck with me. And then my mom threw it out. So that was, that was, <laughs> that was Ouch. So, yeah. I've been there though. <laughs> Mom's listening. She's definitely throwing out some things of mine. Uh, but uh, yeah. Uh, that hurts. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But you know, so you you are a, a a Nuggets fan, and it's and it's like so nice to uh, at least for at least in my experience to meet uh, someone who has that kind of affinity for the Nuggets because you don't meet a lot of uh, Nuggets fans pre mellow, right? We there's not a lot of people yeah. who will cop to that sort of thing, I guess you know, because they we always say, oh yeah, no, I remember mellow, that was a long time ago, and I'm like. Eh. <laughs> yeah no it's i mean shoot sometimes you don't feel like you meet that many nuggets fans in denver i mean i was uh, you know, this is a problem i mean i uh was uh you know came back in for the playoffs and i kind of remember like the first year we got back in the playoffs and i remember it was about two years ago and i remember being like the buzz there's not a lot of buzz around town for the nuggets playoffs it does feel like it's starting to starting to come back a little bit mm-hmm. but um yeah, thank. It's the this is the you know for all the terribleness of Twitter, this is the wonders the wondrousness of Twitter. Now we can sort of uh, you know connect over space and time um, with the little pockets of Nuggets fans who are everywhere. But uh, but yeah, I mean usually if you see somebody in a Nuggets hat somewhere outside of Denver um, or a Nuggets shirt, uh, it is like a you know kind of a marijuana you know somebody's like like thinks it's funny because like it was says nuggets on there and they're like they're thinking of weed like I've, I've i'm sure you have i've had many experiences where i've tried to engage right. somebody in an airport who had a nuggets hat on and they're like didn't even know what i was talking about <laughs> yes yes it's it is it is annoying but at the same time with with denver <laughs> being one of the first to legalize weed it was just one of those things yeah. <laughs> and it just it just came with the territory yeah. so um you know i what i want to ask you is how does a kid from colorado um end up gravitating towards political uh the, the political theater like uh, you worked uh, on jeb bush's campaign right yeah um, yeah. how, what how does this happen? I can't, well, yeah. like, 
Yeah, I mean, I always loved politics, um, and I kind of got lucky. Um, I, I wish there was a better example in this, but so we lived out in uh, Littleton, out by, uh, out by kind of Columbine High School, um, yeah. and uh, and um, I when I was growing up, so I guess this was '98, so we'd been there about five years, and I was in high school, and I. Um, you know, I was lucky, uh, privileged enough to like not be a kid that had to like, go work at McDonald's during mm-hmm. summer. You know, my parents just wanted me to do something that I cared about. They didn't care. You know, I didn't need to, I didn't need to, uh, you know, pay the bills. Um, and so I was trying to figure out something to do in my summer in high school. And our neighbor was a friend of this guy that was running for governor. And he's like, why don't you just intern on his campaign? You like politics and stuff like that. And the guy's uh, was Bill Owens, who ended up he so he wins the primary that year, uh, the Republican primary in '98, and becomes two-term governor. Um, and uh, you know, so me and Bill kind of bonded a little bit. Um, I read his mail, and you know, <laughs> I went with him to uh, you know traveled around the state, like going to campaign events, doing gopher stuff, putting up the dumb purple signs, and you know the whole the whole deal. Um, and so uh, that's how I got into it. He was a fast riser in politics. Uh, ended up running the Republican Governors Association out of D.C., which was you know a, a, the campaign arm that oversees all the governor's races yeah. and so i interned for him there um, when i went to college in dc and and it was just that was it i was off to the races so i, was, I did uh, you know i was kind of a campaign gypsy after that moving to a bunch of different states um uh and um you know fell in love fell in love with it and and to be honest i at the you know i i had a I don't want to understate the fact that I had, you know, kind of earnest political views and passions because I did. Um, but, you know, pretty quickly after getting into it, um, and this is something I have some regrets over, but it's just true, the truth. Um, I, I enjoyed the sport of it, honestly. Like I liked it kind of like I liked sports. Like I ended up becoming a political junkie in the way that I was a sports junkie. I liked the stats. I could tell you every district and every state and, you know, who's up and who's down and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, I think we've seen lately uh, some of the downsides to that kind of thinking about politics, but, um, yeah. but, but yeah, I mean yeah. that, so I think that's sort of how all those things combined and I ended up getting lucky. The other element of that is that first Owens race. I don't know if you remember this, but in 98, he was running against Gail Shetler, who was Romer's Lieutenant governor. Yep. And he ends up winning by, I don't have the number in front of me, but like 1600 votes. It was one of those races. Really goes, he's losing all night, losing all night. And then at like 3000, three in the morning, you know, the last, you know, kind of one of the final batches of votes come in and they dump out for, you know, and he takes the lead and he ends up holding her off. And that was pretty exciting for me. His little political dork, who <laughs> was, you know, the sixteen-year-old intern. You know, the, right. all the guys on the campaign are sneaking me drinks, and like, you know, the music's blaring, and uh, you know, that felt pretty cool for me. So that that also got me hooked. Well, I, you know, it, it's got to be pretty funny because I, I I remember that race vividly. Because Bill Owens is a is a was a, a kind of an anomaly when it comes to Colorado because mostly uh, Democrats get elected from Bill Lamb from, from Bill Lamb yeah from Lamb all the way to you know where you got now and he was the anomaly that yeah, eight year anomaly and then he came what two thousand two was like the year every Republican was getting elected right it's post 9-11 and it was just they, yeah. they took back the senate they yeah, expanded right. really so it was like it was it, then he got reelected, and i think 
I think that I just, my memories of Bill Owens with my mom complaining about him. <laughs> That's because she, she worked for the edu- for uh, school system. So she like constantly, yeah. constantly. He was big on charter him. schools. So yes. yeah, I'm sure he, I'm sure she was complaining about him. That's uh, what I remember. Yeah, I mean, look, we look back at it and yeah, you didn't mention one of our other com- uh, commonalities, which I guess we'll get into, which is the, my, my being, a, my openly, the fact that I'm openly gay. So me and Bill did disagree on, on gay stuff and, you know, but, uh, and, and some, a couple of other issues, but all in all, like, and if you look back and he was just a classic, you know, kind of, um, you know, compassionate conservative era right. kind of Republican. Right. Right. I mean, um, you know, right. he, who was, if you were, you know, a, a teacher's union person, you didn't really like him or, um, <laughs> you know, and he was staunchly pro-life and, you know, so some of the, some of the social issues, of course, there were some, would be some areas of disagreement, but, um, just a really great guy, a totally decent guy. We're still, we're still Facebook friends and he is, you know, kind of as appalled with what's happening right now as, well, maybe not as me. I'm pretty fucking appalled, but, um, you know, <laughs> as a normal, as an average normal person should be. Um, so, uh, uh, really good, decent, decent guy. Well, see, I was going to lead up to us having, uh, being both, you both being, I'm sorry. Gay. Did I, did I free, did I open up your, oh, your big um, reveal about yes. me being, about my gayness? <laughs> We had a big gay reveal coming. RuPaul was about to, music was about to start playing. I had a whole you know. speech prepared for like about South Park Republicans. Remember that? Remember that uh, book that came out years ago? Yeah. Uh, and it, it was, it was like, I was like, I was going to like head this whole monologue and I'm like, you know what? This is, I, I'm glad the way you did it, you did it better because that's fitting more in the spirit of this podcast. So, uh, <laughs> okay, well, I, we can talk, let's do this. I, I'm ready for the South Park Republican speech. I'm sorry that I ruined the big reveal. No, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> you did not step on anything. I'm just kidding. Cause I, I, at this point, I, I, I like one of the things and one of the, I guess one of the aspects that has been missing for me personally, and this is uh, just uh, as I've drifted through, quote unquote, covering the Denver Nuggets, is that I'm very much on an island in, in the fact that I, I am a gay man who covers the Nuggets. And it is so unusual that I, uh, there was a moment, that, you remember Nikola Jokic's uh, no homo uh, incident from a couple years ago? Um, I do. That almost caused me to stop covering the team because I I was like feeling like they weren't like responding to me. It was, it was tough. They weren't listening to me. I personally had to work through a lot of things when I was right there, but what it did was kind of make me feel like I was on an Island. And one of the things that was great when I, when I started following you well back was that here's someone who likes the nuggets. who's also gay. And it just, it, it was, it was so wonderful for me. <laughs> We've got so much to talk about this podcast. We've talked about boys and, you know, uh, um, what Mike Malone's rotations and go yes. back and forth. And um, the, uh, it's, okay, I do want to just admit something really quick. I, 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 I totally agree and could see how you can feel on an island uh, covering the Nuggets. And I guess before I get to the disagree, I'll talk about the agree. I think that there is still a complete lack of appreciation for how um, toxic um, the team team sports is really as it is the deals with gays. And, and we're still today in 2020 after everything we've been through after, 
you know, open, you know, after gay marriage being legalized everywhere, after in, in almost all of culture, you know, being very normal and comfortable to talk about being gay. And we have, look, Pete Buttigieg this year wins Iowa caucus as an openly gay man. What a great moment. There's still not an openly gay player on a team sports team in any right. league. Right. Right. There's still not one. And, and that's not because there aren't any gay people in the leagues. Um, I, I don't have any firsthand experience for you. I don't know if you have any anecdotes you want to share, but um, I, I just have a pretty, the math indicates that there aren't any that there have to be. And, and that is just, it's, it's unhealthy and it, and it seeps down. It seeps down to younger kids for us. I, I say this to people all the time. Like you think that, oh, these culture wars are over and, and, you know, um, you know, the gay, the fabulous side is one and we're doing pretty good. And, but, but, you know, still being a, closeted gay kid on a high school basketball team in most places in this country is not comfortable no. it's not okay and there's a lot of gay you know if you're any on not really the nuggets message board honestly um it's a good group but if you're on most team sports message boards like calling people fags and stuff is pretty pretty standard still you know like there's not like the culture is not so so anyway, I, I, I'm happy that you're openly gay and you're out there doing that. I'm going to give you my caveat now. Okay. I thought the no homo thing was funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Joker doesn't know any better. No. Poor Joker doesn't know any better, honestly. He just thought it was funny. He didn't even know what he was getting into. He's still working on his English thing. Yeah. I will tell you. I, will tell I gave you. him a pass on it. I will tell you. I was fine with it. I went on with Nate Crackman on the radio. And... He, he, he's uh, one of the hosts on, on the Altitude radio station out here. And yeah. they, of course, wanted to have me on because they know. And they said, what do you think about it, Jeff? And I said, look, I think it was just a, a joke that didn't land. Right? That's the way I took it. It was like it was a joke that didn't land. It was the aftermath that bugged me. You know, it was everything else that came out. It had nothing to do with him. Okay. Like Jokic himself, I, he's, just, he's just trying to do a, what he hears in the locker room as a joke. That's all he was doing. Yeah. And, but the rest of it, I was just like, you guys just, just need to respond to this a little. And that's all I cared about. But I, I let it go as I do pretty much everything. And letting that go was like something that was at that time, what was that, three years ago now? Two years ago now. Uh, at that time was kind of like uh, one thing I just kind of had to like decide that I was going to do, just let it go. And... Um, yeah. It, it, it's one of those things, but it, 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 just in that sense, it was kind of like the island thing. Do you remember when Jason Collins uh, came out? Uh, the the yeah. center, center for the uh, Nets back in the day. Uh, and I remember Mark Jackson, who I have stories on Mark Jackson, but I most of them I cannot repeat on this, this podcast. But he said, I will pray for his parents. And it was such an insulting thing to say. It, it just bugged me. So I wrote this article on Dennis. Mark Jackson's an asshole. Oh, God. Mark Jackson's an asshole. The, the only coach I've ever had a bad dealing with in the entire time I've been covering the Nuggets was Mark Jackson. Only one. He's the only one. Um, anyway, I, uh, I, it caused me to write an article about it on Denver Stiffs. And it was this big thing because apparently no one knew. <laughs> So, well, this was prior to that. It was actually it was like when Kobe was uh, slurred a a, uh, a ref in one of the games, and I, I wrote about that, and they were like, "Oh my god!" They said, "You're gay," and I went, "Oh yeah, I guess I should have told." 
I should have told people. I should have said something. I should have, before, I should have should have said something before I dropped this out there. So, but how was your? Were you publicly? When did? When was this publicly? Uh, this kind of adventure for you, particularly within Republican pop politics, was it like from the beginning? Yeah, that was. Um, I mean, I was very early. Um, so I can't. So I worked for McCain um, in. 2007 prepay when I was on McCain's first uh, first group. I don't know if, if you're a political junkie, you might remember this. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't. But when at the beginning of his residential campaign, things went really badly. He fired his campaign manager, who was a guy that had been a mentor of mine. And so that campaign, a bunch of people quit. And, and so I, I was out. I was there in his first group. Um, and then he hired, had a new team that came in when he ended up having uh, having Palin on those VP and, and in the general election. But um, so, so after that, I was like, well, crap. And so I moved back to DC and, uh, you know, took a job a little bit separate from politics, kind of adjacent to politics and like came out of the closet. And I was like, I need to deal with my personal life. Yeah. <laughs> like, this presidential campaign has gone into the toilet. And I like, I'd, uh, you know, I'd been living in all these random places for campaigns where like there aren't any gay people, you know, I was in Iowa and Southern Virginia and, um, you know, uh, you know, real America, if you will. And, um, <laughs> and so I moved back to DC, came out of the closet. Um, and then, you know, got this uh, very kind offer from uh, one of McCain's top advisors who was going to do John Huntsman's campaign. Hmm. And John Huntsman was the moderate uh, uh, Utah. He was for civil unions, which at the time was like good for Republicans. Yeah. Utah right. governor. Um, right. And I was like, man, a moderate governor, you know, this is my kind of Republican. And so he kind of, kind of pulled me back off the sidelines. But at that point, I was very out. And I said to him, I was like, look, I'm not going to do this. Like, I'm not going back into the closet for this. Right. And he said, we don't care, you know. So that was sort of also one of the appeals. So I was openly gay as the spokesperson for that campaign. Um, and then, you know, every job I took after that, including Jeb's, um, you know, I said to them straight up when I, during the interview, I'm like, look, I'm gay and I'm openly gay. Everybody knows. And, and if that's going to be a problem, then that, then, you know, we're just not gonna, we shouldn't continue the interview. No worries. Um, and never became a problem, um, which is good. Um, uh, which is a lot. I just, you know, picked good candidates, but, um, so, you know, that included Mitt's, um, race in 2012 and then and then jeb uh in 2016 and i took some heat over it and like the conservative blogs and shit and i took some heat on it from gay <laughs> you know i did you know dan savage yeah i do uh, know. Dan, i did i did dan savage he does he does like a gay sex i guess also straight sex uh, advice column um, yeah so he used to really troll me hard on twitter uh, and be really mean to me but we've made up now that i'm a never trumper and i actually did his podcast recently and we you oh. know sort of you know, buried the hatchet. Um, yeah. uh, but so I took some heat from both sides for doing that. Um, uh, you know, uh, some of them for good reason, some of them because they were being assholes. But um, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, I was, I was happy to do it. I, I think that because I was really visible in that kind of community, I've like, I'm very, I've probably more people have come out to me than like anybody in the history of the world. Cause like every closeted Republican in America, I'm like the person that they know that they know that's gay. <laughs> um, so um, I feel like it's given me kind of a view into 
you know, gay life outside of the like big, you know, cities where it's, um, where it's pretty, you know, obviously extremely sort of normalized and common, almost celebrated now, frankly. Um, uh, and, and, you know, uh, like it ended, I, 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 this was all my career was happening is the sea change was happening. You know, like, you know, eight when I worked for McCain, I was in the closet, but both McCain and Obama were against gay marriage then. And then in 12, yeah. I was for Mitt, Obama had come out, Biden had pushed him out, actually credit to Biden and um, for gay marriage. And so that was the one time I, I, you know, I took a lot of heat over that. And then, uh, and then in 2013, when the Supreme Court thing was going on, I left my job at the time because I didn't want to be a Republican spokesperson when the Supreme Court thing was happening. I just right. didn't want to be, you know, feel like I was cross pressured at all. Um, and then by the time I got back in with Jeb, you know, gay marriage was already legal and yeah. like he was for it. And so, you know, so um, I, I, you know, I, so, you know, it was interesting to kind of like be involved through all of that. And now it's, uh, you know, I think that at least in DC, this is different. I, I think again, in different places in America, but like there are tons of openly gay Republican staffers. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Like it's much more normal. Like I, I was very much an anomaly um, at the time, but, uh, but now it's like, you know, dime a dozen. Yeah. It's an, an interesting kind of adventure. Uh, particularly as you're going through the 2000s and how that evolution yeah. happened so suddenly, because I think it was 2008 when Prop 8 in California passed and right. then it kind of, everything accelerated to, to, to better things, like almost immediately after that, it just, the dominoes started falling. And it's amazing to me how it's the, just, it's evolved. It's just evolved in such a way that I, I in the 90s, I would tell people like being, I, I, I spent about seven years of my life in Grand Junction and not the, not oh the most, gosh. not the most tolerant place ever. And I, 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 that formed my view of things and it, and it leaving out, go, returning to Denver, you know, and and just getting a better perspective changed and it because some of that changed with the way culture was changing and it's just the way things have gone um and it sounds to me like your evolution yourself kind of coincided with these changes happening just in the greater society yeah i mean it's really unbelievable i mean you're the prop eight you're exactly right so that is oh eight so this is why i think obama was there uh you know worried about being you know being you know openly gay i mean i i did a lot of writing for the bulwark about pete's campaign because i i felt like this changes happened so quickly that it almost was like people didn't think it was a big deal anymore yeah it's like and you know and so i kept trying to make this point which is like only three presidential cycles ago ago my first presidential campaign you know i'm in the closet working for john mccain pete is is serving in Afghanistan under don't ask, don't tell, mm. Mm. you know, so it can't be openly gay in the military. Yeah. Um, and so now for three cycles later for him to be, you know, winning the Iowa caucus. And it's just, it's, it's a massive, massive progress that we all lived through. And, it just, and, 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 and like, I feel like now the, a lot of people in, you know, media, political media, which is very different from sports media in this, in this sense, like, um, 
you know, like they're everybody in their life is gay, right? And so like they didn't even so Pete almost like got attacked sometimes for like not being gay enough or whatever, right. you know, or like not fitting into the right st- kind of stereotypes. Right. And um so I just think that that arc from Prop 8 to to Pete is so interesting. And um and yeah, living through it was um was and and you know being in republican politics during it right. <laughs> um uh you know it's it was like uh you know it was pretty i mean for me it was i i, I thought i don't know i i think that i have some regrets about it because i look back and wish i'd done more like gay you know ad- advocacy mm-hmm. um you know on issues um uh, and then on the other hand i think about it and think man like m- being there as an openly gay republican and just saying like fuck it like all, i see all this stuff is changing i'm just going to be openly gay deal with it um you know allowed me to kind of have all these uh, you know i don't want to like overstate my influence or whatever but like you know relationships with people who were struggling with it themselves and were like well shit if this right. guy doesn't give a, if this guy doesn't care and he's going to be openly gay but republican national committee <laughs> like right. speaking for the republican national committee then what am i doing you know like uh, this is something that maybe i can do so um so it kind of cut both ways um but it was definitely you know i was in the thick of it as all this stuff was was happening well, and it's also, I think, uh, important for people to have allies. It's like kind of like what I was talking about earlier with, you know, like feeling on an island a bit, you know, it, it's kind of nice to have a community. Yeah. And particularly in Republican politics, uh, particularly at that time, uh, I'm sure that was kind of a nebulous experience anyway, because, yeah, you're, you're open, but I mean, how many people were like, yeah, just, just don't, don't mention it here. We know you're gay. You know, was, that, was there an implicit yeah. thing there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, some people, you know, don't make a big deal out of it. You know, like, yeah. we don't want to make a big I, I remember, I feel bad about this. During Huntsman's campaign, Huntsman had a lot of gay supporters, because obviously he was the most pro-gay Republican, and so yeah. all the gay Republicans were basically for him. Um, and and somebody was going to, I remember a reporter was like going to write a story about how gay all the... <laughs> Uh, one of our events was <laughs> like he was like i went to this event and it's like all it's, there's like a hundred gay dudes there and he was gonna write about it i kind of like yelled at him and i was like how can you write that i was like are you gonna out them or are you gonna you know because we were you know like you didn't want to be the gay campaign right um so in retrospect i'm like that was like this internalized homophobia slash political strategy at the same time that i was like dealing with and um you know i mean i i like i'm i'm like i said i'm openly gay and i don't you know, hide it all. But at the same time, I, you know, not everybody knows. Right. And so I definitely have been in meetings where like, dude, where like Republican meetings where guys were saying, you know, homophobic stuff and, you know, like my co- colleague or whatever would have to like, look at me and be like, sorry, you know, with, you know, like he doesn't know. And I'm like, I, I know what people say when I'm not in the room. It's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think that that, um, that is definitely was you know was definitely an issue, and I think that that's still and I, I do think that's the thing in that sense. It's almost like the political side we've all moved further than the sports side. Yeah. Like you really still just don't you know like still don't see a lot of uh, sports, you know, in sports media and sports anything right. Like I, I, I do think that it, well, sports is way behind in that in that regard. Well, yeah, and I think sports, uh, particularly uh, it blog media, kind of has more gay writers um my friend ted chalfin um there are a few more and uh kevin arnovitz 
you know, he's openly gay. But I think in the sense that, and then it's a weird experience for me because going into a locker room, I find myself um, saying like an edit button and I've had permanently been pressing this edit button on myself. Don't, don't yeah. make yourself too gay. And I think that that's yeah. probably, probably a little harmful, but uh, no one would look at me and say, you know, this guy's, you know, that way, because look, I'm, I'm wearing a, I got long hair. I'm wearing a Van Halen shirt. I'm, you know, I, don't I, know. <laughs> I know plenty of gays in Van Halen shirts. All right. What's uh... <laughs> Old Simpsons was old Homer Simpson line about the you know he's in a Hawaiian shirt that means he's either gay or a big fat party animal or something like that. Big fat party animal, right? Uh, So it's just like there's there's stereotypes out there, and I think not all everyone fits the stereotypes, and you certainly don't, and I certainly don't, and I think that that's a good thing. Well, closeting yourself is this. I, I, I actually, I'm getting a little sweaty, honestly. Just, I'm having a physical reaction right now, just thinking about what you were saying about having to go into the locker room and edit yourself. Because, look, this is the thing like, being in the closet is horrible. And it is extremely, I just, I don't think that straight people really realize um, how damaging it is on a psyche to feel like you have to be lying all the time right you know um even just little things little lies little lies constantly constantly little lies and um you know pda is comfortable with other thing i i wrote about um with regards to pete's campaign i did a whole article just on the fact that he kissed Justin publicly and i was like and how big of a deal that was because it's just like i don't know i just think straight people are like i kiss my wife like i just give her a peck on the lips not a big deal but it's like with gay people you kind of always like looking over your shoulder or thinking like eh, is somebody not going to be cool with this around here mm-hmm. even still and so and so i just think about that as a comparison that i think about to to being in a locker room and um and you know i i just i think that it's 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 like unhealthy psychologically to not be able to just like let the air out of the balloon and just be like we're comfortable nothing to worry about here (laughs) i'm doing my job you're doing your job like you know but um but you know there is still that weight i bet you know what i always tell people who are like like well what if they you know they think oh no you're you're looking at me and all that stuff and i say look it's male ego. What makes you think I'm looking at you, right? <laughs> what, 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 I mean, just 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 remove yourself there from that sense. But I mean, it, it, there there is that thought, and and it's weird. But did like did you permanently have your edit button on? Was this something that you felt that you had to overcome yourself? That's not like an, an, another person issue, but 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 a but a Tim issue. Where you like was there a point where you're like I'm no longer care about this. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just want to add to the locker room thing. Take it as a compliment, yes. you know? Okay. Yeah. No big deal. Just because, just because, you know, some, I think somebody thinks you're handsome, uh, you know, it's, there's no, uh, nothing to be, nothing to be concerned about there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. if a woman that you didn't want to sleep with is looking at you and thinks you're handsome, you just take that as a compliment. Right. Exactly. You don't take that as a threat just exactly. because, you know, you're not into her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's the other, um, you know, that's the mindset that I would put it in. Um, yeah. I mean, I, um, I well, look, I obviously had my head to put it in the closet, like in the McKinney campaign, for example, I, I've told the story a couple of times. I hate to, it's, this is kind of embarrassing if any of my former colleagues are listening. I hope they're, I hope they're not. Um, but it's true. I, I was, as I was processing being in the closet, um, 
McCain had this moment where he accidentally kind of came out for gay marriage, basically. Like he just said, he, he just was like, I don't think it's a big deal. And then it became, then it became a news story and he had, had to backtrack and be like, actually, you know, I'm running a Republican primary. I'm not for gay, you know? And, and I used that just as a water testing with like my colleagues one day. And I was like, what, where are you guys all at on gay marriage? Like you're for gay marriage, right? But it's just a primary. We got to say what we got to say. To a person on that campaign, which is all, you know, moderate Republican types, college educated, you know, this is not, you know, this was not a, um, you know, the types of folks that you think is like hateful. Um, and, and to a person, everybody was against it, except for one person on the campaign. Like I pulled the whole office and I was like, wow. oh shit. I was like, I was like, people aren't as okay with this as I maybe thought in my head. I was like projecting the best on everybody. Right. And so, I mean, I definitely was adding myself there. Um, once, you know, once I came out, I, I pretty much um, took the mindset that, I don't know about you, man. And, and I, I came out at a good time being in the mid 2000s where and living in DC, but um, I like ripped that bandaid off and it was like a thousand pounds off of my shoulders. You know, I just like my whole body language changed. <laughs> like, I just right. got much more comfortable with myself and you're not lying all the time. And so I, I basically made the decision that I was like, I'm I'm never I'm never going back into the closet even for a second. Like it was terrible, and so and and that means I'm never going to pretend to be in the closet for some meeting, like for something. Like I'm just not. So I really I really got rid of the edit button. A few exceptions came up, you know, like there was a time on one campaign where I got uh, I, like I had to go deal with the religious right on something, and some guy was lecturing me, and I was like, it's just better to get out of this conversation by just being nice about it than like making a big deal and you know there were certain instances for here and there where i'd have to where you know where the old the old edit button would come back but i i I tried to and i thought that that was kind of my own little rebellion by the way against being a republican gay it's like i'm gonna be out and you're and i'm gonna you know we're here we're queer deal with it like i'm gonna deal with it you can i can leave this job like if it's gonna become a problem so i sort of almost dealt with it by going the other way honestly and i would like bring up gay stuff like in meetings and stuff to you know push the button push the envelope I, you know, I, and it's, it's kind of, a, it's one of the reasons I wanted to, when we started talking about coming on, is I kind of felt that we needed to talk about this in a sense that um, it's, a, it's kind of an introduction to, to what it is to be someone like you and me, which isn't special. I, I mean, I, I'm not, I mean, I, there's nothing that I would say that makes me stand out, but it's just a part of my life that is a part of my life that's always in my head. And I think it's really hard for yeah. people to, to translate that to people who never had to think about that sort of thing, right? Because they, they, they just don't look at it that way, right? And it's not like a, uh, like a, it's not like a, a, a woe was me thing. It's more of a trying to get people to understand why I, I stop at a certain place. Um, to the credit, my nuggets are yeah, I had a, extremely supportive of me. So I, I, I've never had an issue there, but it's just there. It's always in my head. Yeah, yeah that's happened after, and this is a good conversation. This happened after I wrote that article about the kiss. I had, I had probably a half dozen, maybe more of my straight friends be like, man, it did, never even occurred to me that you would have a different 
you know, kind of anxiety around PDA, you know, and like I wrote in the article, I was like, I, I found this poll from Pew that was like, I don't have the number memorized, but it was something like a quarter or a third of America still says that they feel uncomfortable watching gay public displays of affection gay kisses right and so i'm like we know that <laughs> like you don't you don't think about that but we all know that one one out of three of every one of you don't like seeing it right. you know and so that is that affects us in that situation and that's just like one example but the same thing i mean i think that your locker room example is a great one i, I actually think that in I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that the nuggets are good but um you know and i don't really know exactly what the right way to do about it is but boy i i really i feel like we're overdue and i really wish we had a big sports coming out moment because i do i do think that there's still a reckoning to come and i just i i mean you know i i think that in, in a lot of ways um you know being in that environment is still is still um you know a little uh you know a little repressive like preventing people from from being themselves right i mean if you you're saying like you're, you're the only one you're like that's openly gay it's like that's a little, that's a little weird at this point right you know it's like yeah. not, none of the rest of y'all um it's like i kind of know one of the rest of y'all are but who's not who's who's not saying it you know um you know just it it, uh, it is it, it very much is almost like a culture and environment of Republican politics like 10 years ago, you know, it's like kind of reminiscent of me, like back in the McCain days, really, Um, which is, which is weird, especially in such a liberal league like the NBA, you know. It's, it's, I don't even think they think about it. And that's, and then that's the thing. It's, it's kind of like, um, it's, it's not something that ever crosses their mind because they never have to confront it. Right. It's not a thing that within their purview. So, but there's players in the locker rooms, I'm sure through these sports who are and are just legitimately terrified. And I, I, I personally don't know how to reach them because I'm not in that dynamic. The locker room is a different right. place. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a different kind of completely different bunker kind of mentality that you, you don't get in other places in society. So that maybe creates a different kind of anxiety with it too. Yeah. Look at what Dwight, I mean, Dwight just had to go through like a big controversy kind of not with not being gay, but with like, you know, sleeping with, tra- you know, trans women or, um, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. And like that, and that I did not feel like I wasn't around the team or whatever, you know, and I'm seeing this all two steps removed as a kind of a casual NBA fan. Um, but I didn't sure didn't seem to me like it was a very welcoming response to the no, revelations. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't. And he had the and he had it certainly didn't seem like it was a response that if somebody else if somebody if I was a gay person and I was reading what people were saying about Dwight, it certainly certainly wouldn't have made me feel like, yeah, it's time to come out now. Well it's kinda of like uh, Troy Aikman, right? I have chosen I've I have chosen to not live the gay lifestyle was his uh was his uh response to the question. Oh gosh, that was the other <laughs> I'd forgotten about that, to be honest. Uh, and that's just like the, anxi- the anxiety it gives people is is immense. And I, I get it. I get it. Um, and I, I think on a greater scale, and, and what fascinates me, and I'll, I will give people some context here with my following. Tim, I kind of just accidentally did because you had tweeted something about Jamal Murray, I think. Uh, and I was like, okay, let me follow this guy. And then I was like, I what I found was like before even knowing who uh, what your personal life was because that wasn't 
part of my following you on Twitter, I like you, right? So I was like, okay, I like this person. I'm going to follow him. And obviously the rest of that stuff makes a big difference. And I think people miss the commonalities that draw us together. Like there is a lot of things as humans and not getting philosophical here, but a lot of things as humans that draw us together. (laughs) Uh, And sometimes we let one thing tear us apart, like politics. (laughs) And, you know, we can segue into that, but that is, that's, there's these things that people decide I, that is not a bridge that I can cross right now. You're done. And it's amazing to me. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, this is, I've been at the crux of a lot of those bridges um, with, with being a gay Republican and now being kind of a, not, not a Republican anymore. I actually, mm-hmm. I left the party uh, uh, after the election um, and uh, you know, have now been completely um, excised and had one of my, just, uh, just the other day, had one of my former um, colleagues uh, send me a message about how I was a, are we allowed to cuss on this podcast? Go ahead. Uh, about how I was a motherfucker, um, you know, for like attacking my former colleagues who are working for Trump. Um, so, you know, I mean, the, right now it's, it's, it's almost worse than ever at trying to find it, these, this kind of bridge building. I do, I do feel like that's been, you know, something that I've, I've been lucky. I, it almost, I almost feel like I was lucky that I was gay, right? Because it has allowed me to sort of break through a little bit some of our various, you know, bubbles. Um, you know, I think that there's this very kind of urban, culturally liberal, um, you know, bubble, and then kind of this more Republican, culture, culturally conservative bubble that's now increasingly, you know, increasingly live in different places and are reading different things and like different sports. I mean, it's like Republicans right. don't even watch the NBA anymore. And so like being, you know, a gay Republican and then being an anti- never Trumper Republican, um, uh, you know, being kind of uh, having conservative politics, but being culturally more liberal um, has has sort of allowed me to try to bridge some of that stuff with people but man it's harder than ever now i mean that's almost like <laughs> i was on one side i was on in one team of our uh, uh, i was in one bubble and then and now i've been kicked out and now i'm out now i'm in the bu- other bubble so <laughs> i had a small period where i was a bridge between the bubbles and then my old bubble they just they lit the bridge on fire uh so now i'm on the uh, now i've been traded um Ooh. but uh you know, I, I I think that that's just where we are right now, and it's tough. I mean, when when you're when you're trying to do a coup, and and uh, uh, and when you're you know you have vigilantes um, uh, occupying the capital, um, it's hard to find common ground. You know? and, and let's 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 we have to talk about this. I okay. I told you I sent you a message yesterday saying that it really what seeing it literally made me cry yesterday, and I. I was watching it and I had to get away from it because I was like, I, it, it, it riddled me with anxiety and I'm not someone who ever gets anxiety, but <coughs> I was just, I couldn't watch it anymore. And I, I said, one of the reasons I sent you a message and, and you know, and, and, and you sent me the, a great reply for that. And it kind of made me feel better, but it, it is, it, I never thought I would see anything like, the president of the United States stirring up a bunch of vigilantes to storm Congress. It just never thought I would see the day. And, but you know, at the same time, Tim, I should have thought of, I, it, it, I should have thought this was the natural conclusion to what 
whatever's going on in Trump's head translating to these yahoos who will who will go out and enact whatever lurid fantasy and uh, that he has in his head. Yeah. I mean, Trump is terrible and he's been terrible from the start. And so I just, uh, you know, I had never even, um, like Jeb lost. And literally two days later, I was laying on the beach in Miami and I got a phone call from somebody who was doing a stop Trump pack and they, they needed somebody to go on TV and trash Trump every day. And I was like, sign me up. I'm, I'm leaving the beach, you know? Right. So like this was, it didn't even, didn't even cross my mind. to not do it. And he was just so unacceptable to me in every possible imagination. So I, you know, I saw, the potential any anybody did anybody that went to one of those rallies or watched one of those rallies on the tv could see how he just incites and inflames people's emotions and and stirs people up and you know i for me the moment that you probably had yesterday was i remember he had this rally and i think it was in north carolina and and he had sent a tweet that said you know go back where they came from to the squad to the women uh, the african-american women in congress and and um and the crowds are doing a chant, send them back, send them back. And he's standing up there. And I was like, this is Jim Crow shit, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, uh, and, I, and so I had that moment then I was like, this is just so un-American. And you can just sense how he, how he feeds on, on, on people's, on people's shadow side. You know, he's just so, he has just cruelty. Um, and, and he's not the first to do this. Like there's, this is, there are guys like him all over the world, but, um, so I saw that and, 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 and frankly, in some ways, it's almost like this was not only inevitable, but it's kind of surprising that something like it didn't happen sooner. Um, the thing I didn't see coming and that I'm still dealing with um, is, is all of my, not all, but a shocking number of my former colleagues and friends who were not easily, um, uh, you know, I didn't think would be easily fall under the spell of a populist strong man, right? I mean, they're not, they don't have any grievances. They're not, they're not folks who've had on hard times or live in coal country and, you know, uh, don't know any better or, or do know better, but just have had a tough break in life and are people who have economic anxiety. I, I understand that. This is not that. This is college educated people who live in the cities, are doing well in life and just went along with it. Just went along with it. And, 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 and those are the people that I look at yesterday and think, how can you sleep? Like, what, like, like, look at what this has wrought. And you've got people like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz who went to Harvard and Yale law are smart people who are telling voters lies to get them more stirred up at this time when we all know that there's so much tension on both sides and what we have this powder keg we saw at the George Floyd protest and some of the riots and we we see with these Trump rallies you know that this that this is a fraught time and to lie to these people and tell them that the election is stolen anyway that like that's the part I don't know how we how we start to roll that back and and hopefully we get rid of Trump and or we not hopefully we will get rid of Trump. He's, he will leave on January 20th. And, you know, hopefully, frankly, this has weakened him and is a bid to try to run again in four years. But, but what do we do with the rest of these guys that were, that were just going along with it and, and telling people this lie that, that about voter fraud and, and, and this evil socialists. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's, it's maddening. It's ups- I'm laughing, but it's just, it's just maddening. They all know better and they all were just stirring up, people's anger 
for political gain. I mean, it's sick. It's sick. You know, have you thought about, and my theory has always been Twitter didn't create Trump, but it gave him the bullhorn he needed to do what he needed to do. Uh, He is to me, the Twitter president. Um, Barack Obama was not because he predates Twitter, you know, getting in the office. Yeah. But he, this is, this is to me, an acquaintance of, of a guy who was made on Twitter. Not, I mean, we all know he was a venal, uh, low intelligence, narcissistic asshole long ago, right? We, everyone knew it. Twitter gave him a, a right to, uh, not a right, but an audience to make sure that whatever thoughts were in his head, like, oh, I don't know, the president of the United States not being from this country and shit like that, and gave him the right to find the people who were like upset that there was a black man in office. And there we go. The cult takes off. And I keep going back in time, and maybe this is my own personal grievances, but I keep going back in time and thinking, if this did not exist, would... Trump have made it as far as he did in 2016. Yeah, I don't know about Twitter in particular, but social media, uh, you know, uh, boy, uh, it, it definitely inflamed it. Um, and and I think that uh, people now live, We um, there are two things that happened with it, you know, and I think this part is less Twitter and more, frankly, Facebook and YouTube. But but people's news they get their news they, they get news that 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 makes them feel good uh, about their own feelings right it's not news it's just propaganda it's just it's just people coddling their lies and so uh, a shocking number of people get information just in these Facebook and YouTube bubbles now that is just totally devoid from reality um, yeah. and, and so I think that has exacerbated this right where people you know, in a different time, had Trump run in 1988, you know, where everybody's getting their news from three networks, could this still have happened? Maybe, but, but it would have been, that would have mitigated it a lot, I think, you know, because mm-hmm. they would have filtered out, um, you know, some of this, you know, some of it, and then they would have contextualized it. And I don't know. I just have trouble seeing Trump getting through the Tom Brokaw filter. Maybe that's, maybe that's false nostalgia. But, but, you know, there's, he is the beginning of this, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. but, and, and so, so now people can get their own, their own information places. So I, I think that's a big part of it. Um, and then I also think that now it's created the, these, like we do feel like we're in this political battle where everything is politicized, right? And Trump has taken advantage of that. I mean, look at the mask wars. Look at, I, I would say the one thing that I think is the biggest Thing that is what the biggest red flag or kind of canary in the coal mine for me about this sort of cultural war that we're in right now is like online whenever there's a shooting now like people are like openly rooting for the fact that the shooter will be for the other tribe right like if they're like you know if it's like you hear news of a shooting like when columbine happened right there wasn't like oh i hope that it was a Muslim or like I hope right. it was a Trump supporting white nationalist right like you see that now and so that like I, we want I want it to be the other side so that I can now yell at them and win that floor um, or I want it to be my team uh, I, I just I, I think that now we've created the this sort of online 
you know, imaginary battlefield. And I think this is what happened yesterday is, is a lot of people who thought that the, the, who are in this imaginary battlefield online convince themselves that they're soldiers and then they get into a real battlefield and they're like, what is happening? Like I'm in the Capitol now. I don't even know what to do. You know, that's why you see some of these ridiculous pictures. They're like, these weren't stormtroopers. These are like people who just like, like to get in fights on Twitter and TikTok. Right. And like, you know, yell at libs and like all of a sudden they're in the Capitol. Like they don't even know what to do. Um, right. So I, I think that he and Trump plays into both of those things. Right. So like he would feed the fake news crowd BS and not be shame, ashamed about it. And he'd fight and incite people and fight those social media kind of like battles, you know, in a way where, you know, somebody like Jeb was always trying to take down the temperature. You know? right. Like he never wanted to send a tweet that pissed anybody off, but that's not how you get retweets. So, so anyway, that's a long answer, but I, I, I it's a complicated thing. And I, I don't, it's not just Twitter, but just the way that we're communicating right now around, you know, all of these platforms, I do think benefited Trump. But, but just the last thing is it's not just him, right? This is happening. There's a Trump in Hungary. There's a Trump in Poland. There's a Trump in Turkey. There's a Trump in Brazil. Like this sort of nationalist far right strain has taken over. There's a Trump in France that didn't win. Um, Macron won, thank God. But yeah. you know, like the, 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 this is not, we're, it's not, we're not special in this regard. Um, Trump's particularly weird uh, with his personal idiosyncrasies, but um but, you know, I think that lends credence to the fact that it wasn't just some random thing that like something about the way that we communicate and globalization is, is bringing is bringing, you know, these kinds of wannabe dictators about. I what I've been one of the questions that's been just kind of floating in my mind lately is you have Mike. I mean, like they're talking about the 25th Amendment right now, which is. I, I just don't see Mike Pence ever doing it. I just I just don't see it uh, because he's signing his political. Mike Pompeo. I just want to say, yeah. yeah, Mike Pompeo. He wants to be president. He's like pro Trump. He's a Secretary of State. He's not signing on to a Twenty Fifth Amendment. So I'll, no. uh, yeah, I'm yeah. with. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm with no, you. I'm no, with go you. Ahead. I don't think that's happening because they they want to have a future in Republican politics. And Mike Pence, yeah. I've always had a problem with for obvious reasons. And I actually wrote an article about Mike Pence and what happened in Indiana in 2015 or 16 or early 2016. And it was, it was uh, I, I, how this man gets in there who is a regressive and, and as far as that goes, a conservative. Um, I was like, okay, all right. The, but, but he is more of a standard Republican or at least approaching it than Donald Trump ever was, right? And maybe he would be more palatable to people who just are, are voting in 2024, right? People who are like Republicans who want to, you know, have a normal candidate instead of uh, Trump. Or has the Trump party, has the Republican party been taken over completely by Trumpists? Uh, if you had me on last week, I, I would have said that the party's been taken over by Trumpists. Uh, I think that right now, the smart thing to do is to let's see how the thing, everything settles. Into I think we're just in a, such a volatile time, and I think that that Trump has made some mistakes. Um, obviously, 
it's been a million mistakes, but but politically speaking, he's made some mistakes that has alienated him with some of some, you know, I mean, even Tom Cotton kind of criticized him today. I mean, yeah. come on. Um, <laughs> that was never, I mean, all, you know, a month ago, literally a month ago, like all of the Republicans were like, yeah, we want Trump to run in 2024. You're not hearing them say that as much this week. So, so uh, things could change. Things change in politics. But here's what ha- here's what's not going to change. Um, my people, the moderate kind of Republican crowd, is not coming back. And there, and I, I wrote about this recently. I think you shared the article, which I appreciated it. Which is, uh, you know, the kind of suburban Republicans, the ones who voted for Bill Owens, the suburban Denver, like they're Democrats now. I mean, this mm-hmm. is why Denver's gotten so blue. This is why Colorado's gotten so blue. Um, you know, Cory Gardner could you know as a type that could have won but he just can't win anymore um in, right. in colorado because all these all these folks have been so radicalized against trump that they're democrats now so what that means is that they're not voting in republican primaries anymore they've switched and and so who who, who is voting in republican primaries well the people that were okay with trump and then who are the new people that are coming in it's like the blue collar union folks it used to be democrats but are culturally conservative and are mad at the elites and mad at hollywood mad at globalism they're now republicans so they're they're voting they're just trumpists so they're not conservative in any real way they just like the culture war side of it yeah so so now that's the party right and so you know could a smart person a, a skilled a savvy politician who's who's more normal than trump navigate both sides of that i don't know if pence is good enough for that because is somebody else you know maybe it's a tough tightrope though how, how do you attract the trump voters and feed them the red meat that you want while also not repelling you know the more old line republicans um i i, I don't know but I, I think that right now the party is literally about a 50 50 split and i think that it's about Half of the party is pretty much all in with Trump and half is not. And, you know, it kind of just depends on how the primaries shake down and how things change in the next few years. But, um, you know, I, I don't have any hope for, you know, kind of a reversion to, um, to a more liberally, liberal-minded Republican. And I say that not as like liberal politics, but like liberal mm-hmm. philosophy, you know, yeah. belief in freedom of speech and diversity and, um, I don't have any hope for that. I think the party is moving to a nationalist and populist direction. And it's just a question of whether it goes all in with the Trump lunacy or whether it's more of a softer version of it. Um, the scariest thing is a more competent Trump. That's the thing that I think you should be really, that we all should be really scared about because yeah. Trump is a buffoon. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. if somebody had been just a little bit savvier than him um, at that, at that, employing some of these illiberal tactics and putting better people in to key positions within the government we could have been in for i mean what, what happened yesterday was horrible but but it, we you know it's not the bottom and he's really ham-handed he does everything like a bulldog you know yeah. yeah and my <laughs> i consider myself just a pretty standard democrat always have i voted for bill clinton in 1996 <laughs> I'm, I am, you know, died in the wool Democrat. Um, I didn't realize how uh, uh, apparently conservative I appeared until I joined Twitter. And then I'm like, Oh my God, 
<laughs> these people think I'm like a, I, I like I'm some right wing nut job because that's a, that's a that's a level you of mean, you know, that you I mean, never you don't want to replace you don't want to replace all cops with social workers and peace officers. Uh, well, just, I mean, um, no, it's not the I, first thing that crosses. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, here's the good news. Twitter isn't real life. Um, this is very true. And particularly on, the, particularly on liberal politics, the, the, um, Twitter skews far, far left. Um, and, and that's as evidenced by Joe Biden. Uh, you couldn't find a Joe Biden supporter on Twitter um, uh, during the Democratic primary, and yet he ended up winning pretty handily. Um, uh, the Democrats have this internal fight of their own. Um, uh, the, obviously, I think the younger Democrats, the more socially active ones, are much more socialism friendly and you know social justice oriented and you know uh, um uh, and then i think that there are these tensions between kind of a more populist democrat that cares more about economic issues and then the democrats that are more into you know identity issues identitarianism so uh, you know the democrats have this internal fight certainly going as well here's the thing the democrats have going for them though is their coalition and and this was the coalition joe biden brought all of those suburban people i was just talking about college educated right. um middle class upper middle class who left the republican party or st- or used to be independents you know swing you know your your suburban mom swing voter that we used to talk about in the bush years like they're democrats now okay and they all want and just a center left democrat like that's they're not they're not in for the revolution um neither are older you know black black voters like 40 plus which is a huge part of the democratic coalition so they've got this base that 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 moors the party i think much closer to the center um despite having you know these you know um definitely you know more extreme elements um that are very visible on twitter um uh, the Republicans didn't have that. Like they just, they just didn't have a base of center-right voters um, mm-hmm. uh, the way that the way the way that the Democrats do. So, I'm, uh, um, um, you know, uh, for if you would if you would have called me two years ago, we did this podcast. I said, man, I'm pretty concerned that the Democrats are, you know, that party's going to be overthrown by Bernie, and it's going to be some socialists against nationalists, and I'm going to feel really homeless. I'm, I, you know, I th- Biden's clear victory and the changing nature of the political coalitions that might happen, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I, I think that the death of the center-left neoliberal Clintonists is 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 greatly exaggerated on Twitter uh, right now, and I think that Biden potentially could do. This is a rare beat of optimism for me. Like he could have a good couple of years here, you know. Now, I mean, he we won those two Georgia Senate seats. It's going to be a very closely divided Senate. Uh, Biden is a moderate Democrat. The Senate is going to be controlled by moderate Democrats. The House is going to be kind of a shit show. But like, I think that they could get some pretty popular stuff done. The $2,000 bills are going to come through. Uh, I think it, the upper income tax increase to pay for you know, various projects, climate stuff. I, 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 I don't know. I, I think that Biden could, it, it might have worked out kind of well for him, the makeup of of Congress to, to do a few things. Uh, and then we can have our socialists versus nationalists fight. We can right. table it. We can deal <laughs> with it in 2025. Right. <laughs> you know, I was I, I, a couple of good years. I've been wanting to ask you, and, and, and thank you once again for wanting to come on here. I, you have, you have, uh, an open invitation anytime you want to come on, if, especially if you want to talk about nuggets. Um, I, okay. I, 
Well, I'm actually, I'm holding you to that because, you know, we've, we've, you know, we're doing all this, people get to know Tim and now, you know, halfway through the all-star break, I'm coming on and we're just getting dorky on nuggets. Okay. Okay, We will, we will. We're going to, we're just going to talk about why Malone wants to play like the 93 Knicks and all that stuff. We will will do that. Um, Now here's my, here's my thing. The biggest thing that Biden has to tackle is the pandemic clearly. Um, yeah, I've been having toying with this in my head. Um, is there any way they can, because the vaccine rollout has been awful. I'm not an epidemiologist. I don't know shit. Um, my dad is in his seventies. I hope he gets vaccinated soon, but in the grand scheme of things, it's this clunky bad rollout because states are not handling it very well. Is there any way to nationalize this to make this work better? You know, uh, I hope so. I mean, I think, I hope that they get it. And the problem is, man, Biden's drinking from a fire hose. I mean, it's not a clean transition. The outgoing administration is trying to coup, so they're not working with them. I mean, say what you want about George W. Bush, made plenty of mistakes. But, you know, during the economic crash, when he was handing the baton to Obama, like he basically he put the whole government and looked at Obama's people and said, what do you want us to do? I mean, we yeah. did the stim- the bailouts and all that during that interregnum that right now Trump is doing a coup during. So, so that works against Biden. And he's got a lot of other, you know, you know, like I said, he's got a fragile coalition over there. He's trying to manage. That said, his chief of staff, Ron Klain was the, pandemic czar for obama and this is his expertise and he's the chief of staff for biden um he carries a lot of weight and so you know no promises but god willing he has to know going in that this is his first priority he's got the best person you could have running it and you know fauci will be able to actually you know we'll be able to actually listen to him now and take his advice so i'm hopeful i I worry about bureaucracy and clunkiness and a new administration and all that because time every week matters you know and we had our worst day for covid deaths yesterday of the entire pandemic yesterday um so i hope so i hope we can get this vaccine going but because it is going embarrassingly slow yeah. Um, how it's being handled and i and i you know everybody has their own little nobody's everybody's an amateur epidemiologist now um you know i'm not one any more than you but nah, I'm, it's just like they just got to get the, the needles in people's arms you know mm-hmm. as quickly as possible and like stop with the bullshit right so hopefully the biden folks can get that and i i like ron Klain, and you know we'll we'll see uh, knock on wood but uh but that's that's obviously priority one Okay, so we're going to transition from that to my final kind of final what ten minutes we're going to be on here is that I want to talk to you about what uh, made you like Jamal Murray so much because um, uh, that you are on your Twitter bio bio is a Jamal Murray stand um, and uh, I, I is there something that you saw in him that, uh, that directly appealed to you? Uh, rather than say, you know, Nikola Jokic, or is it more of a Denver Nuggets all over, but he's my favorite player? Uh, it is Denver Nuggets all over. He's my favorite. I had to change it to, I, I, I believe that my bio had Jokic in it um, for a year or two. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, I'm, I think it was, I'm an LSU man as well. I need a, I think it was Jokic and Joe Burrow for up and through the championship game. And it, it changed to Murray in the bubble. 
Murray's Murray's balls and his chutzpah in the bubble, it was just too much not to die. Right, you know, it right. was intoxicating. And I, I I was rooting for us to get Murray. I mean, I forget exactly how that draft went, but I, I didn't think that we could get him um, because I thought he was going to go like four. And, you know, uh, Heald went ahead of him. Yeah. And then it was, I think, Bender went ahead of him. Yeah, and, Dragon you know, Bender. And, I, and, yeah. and so he really, <laughs> yeah, a lot of, I mean, Connolly's done some awesome stuff with the draft, uh, obviously, but this one was luck. Like Murray just fell in his lap. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I've, had to, I've had to go all in as Jamal, for, as Jamal Murray. Um, and so it's a, it's, it's a simple set. I'm, I'm usually attracted to guards, but, but, you know, Jokic is playing, this is nothing against Nicola. I love Nicola. I love this team. It's just such a lovable team. Well, they, they, uh, Nick, Jokic is playing at an MVP level level right now, just stunning numbers he's putting up and he's in shape. And the, the common theory now is he got married. So therefore he's suddenly just playing better. And usually the, the, the theory goes, it's the opposite. But they said that uh, that uh, once he got married, he would explode, and that was a lot of the Serbians who uh, followed me on Twitter were saying that they were saying like, you know, you'll you'll see it. He got married, and you'll get it like twenty five times better. And I was, it's kind of a shaky theory, but I. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm buying that. I don't know. It, it's mental. It's a lot mental for him, you know, mm-hmm. and he seemed very checked out at times early in the season last year. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've all kind of memory hold this because of how good the playoffs ended, but remember how bad he was the first three games of the jazz series. Yeah. He was a tro. This was maybe when I changed my bio to Jamal Murray stand. I mean, <laughs> Jamal was just out there was an assassin and had, you know, and just was, you know, um, searching for, you know, kill shots left and right and throughout the bubble and Jokic didn't even care until we were on the brink of elimination so there's something mental so that could be it with the marriage with I'm not a psychologist I can't get inside the guy's head but but something mental has happened and he's really with the exception of the the dumb euro fouls he still does uh which is which is like he has to stop um but with the exception of that he's seemed very locked in you and Scott hate things Scott hates that so much it's so bad though it's so i mean i have to say i love hastings by the way i don't know some people don't i, I love hastings I, one of my like, one of my best friends I, and i, I love him I, yeah he well send send him my love i think that I he I, so i used to do i used to switch to road games and home games i wanted to hear the road announcers um on nba league pass but but starting starting last year i guess i just switched i just want hastings um uh because he's just so locked in to what the nuggets need i'm really i'm aligned with him on the offensive side of things on what they mm-hmm. should be doing um um and uh and so but he's exactly right and we can't you know yoga is too important um to be risking foul trouble like you know touching somebody at half court um because he's mad about a turnover right Right, and it's and he's and he and he does that occasionally, and it like gets him into foul trouble, and it's just it's irritating. He doesn't need to do it, and it's just everyone everyone gets annoyed by that. And I just looked at the 2016 draft, uh, uh, pretty good one. As uh, Ben Simmons, uh, Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown, and then yeah, Buddy Heald went before Jamal. That was the one that led made Jamal drop was uh, the the Kings taking Buddy Heald. That's uh, and then Fawn Maker was, yeah. was drafted right behind him. Wow. Uh, remember yeah, the, I mean, imagine. What a lucky break. So You remember the, the, um, the 15? Yeah, now he's... You remember the 15 draft? 
Uh, was that uh, was that Leiden? That was no, no. That was seventeen. That was a disaster. No, that uh, the uh, fifteen was Emmanuel Moutier. So I was excited about Moutier too, and mm. I don't, I don't have that draft in front of me. And I think, in looking back, it was not. There was just nothing you could do. It wasn't isn't, isn't that right? I don't. Or was there somebody good behind him that that we messed up on? Well, um, in, I was excited for Moutier yeah. though. It, it was uh, Moutier fell, and uh, I was see. This is why I'm not a scout. I wanted them to take Mario Hazonia. And uh, boy, <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I could, is that any worse than Moutier? I don't know. Even Steven a little bit on that one. But uh, I, I was, I wanted Moutier to be good. I was feeling um, optimistic about that. I guess I'm always falsely optimistic about our draft picks, except for 17. I was really mad about not taking. Uh, this was my one time I've been more right than Tim Connolly, which you can pass on to him. But okay, I right really. I wanted OG Ananobi. I wanted OG. He was on the table, and and it's like we're just going to trade down, hoping that we're going to get him. And then we ended up with Tyler Lydon. So I'm not oh, mad man. about trading Mitchell. We didn't need we didn't need Jamal too. I, I don't get upset about that. Uh, but even when the Jazz Twitter people's you know try to you know troll troll us with with Jamal with the Mitchell pictures um, and on the Nuggets hat, but it doesn't bother me. But OG, I wanted and. How much could this team use OG right now, Jeff? Man, I mean, he would really, he would really help. Oh my uh, God, the, so much on the wing, so much. I, 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 it, I, is, I um, uh, can I, can I then turn it to you? Here's so here's my big question with this team: Is there any getting, is there any getting off of Garris and and Barton before this year? Are we are we riding or before next year when they're expiring? Are we riding it out? Well, first of all, I appreciate you using Garrus. That is a <laughs> that is a sign of a true Nuggets fan. Um, yeah. uh, here's the thing about Gary Harris. He has. I, by the way, just can I just say this? I I love Gary Harris. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he's the handsomest person on the team, mm. and he has the best fit on the team. And uh, and and when he was shooting. Uh, uh, you know, but sometimes you just got to meet reality. And right now, right. he's like the eighth or ninth best player on the team. Well, here's the thing about Gary. Um, his, his, the knock on Gary coming into the league was that he couldn't shoot. And he was just a defensive. He was, came out of that Tom Izzo uh, yeah. system thing where they just play defense, basically. Uh, so did Draymond Green. Um, and what happened was... Brian Shaw buried him because he couldn't shoot. And then Michael Malone came in and said, you got freedom to do what you need to do. So there was about a year and a half period after Malone came in where he starts shooting the lights out, just hitting 40% on those threes, making those cuts. You know, Jokic is like dropping dimes everywhere. It's insane. And then one of the big problems with Gary has always been he gets injured all the time. I mean, he, he generally misses 20 games a year. It's just, it's yeah. the D- Danilo Gallinari thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, and even though I love Gallo, um, who still lives here, by the way. Um, <laughs> and I, 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 it got to the point a couple of years ago where they tried to trade him for uh, Kevin Love. And he was going to be involved in this big three team trade. Uh, that's, you know, it was rumored, but it's pretty much that's that I, I can tell you with some authority that that was the deal. And then uh, it was a three team deal involving 
Indiana and Kevin Pritchard, the GM there, pulled out last minute. Uh, so the Nuggets ended up with Tyler Lydon. That's basically how they ended up with Tyler Lydon because the, the trades didn't yeah. work. Um, so you've seen through the years that he's been coming up in these trade rumors. Uh, Brian Windhorst, I don't know if you saw the report a couple of days ago, said basically Gary Harris has no trade value. Uh, it's because he makes almost $20 million a year and shoots 12% on threes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. But so, I mean, you know, maybe we just have to, get, you know, give up a, give up a pick or something to get – I mean, I, I just don't uh, – so I, I guess what you're saying is we're stuck. We're stuck. We're riding out with these wings unless, with, with, with Garris and Barton. Unless he suddenly gets better. I mean, he's a good defensive player. I mean, I mean, you've seen it. He's, uh, when he came in, when he came in in that Utah series, he was, was huge. He was the difference maker. He really was it the was, difference maker. It was huge, but it's tough, you know, especially when they've got Jokic just on so much right now, and when, um, you know, uh, the ball movement is so good, and then it just lands in Gary's hands, and you just know it's going to be a brick um on that uh you know not um you know outside the uh, uh on the diagonal there um it's frustrating it's frustrating it is, it is. i think will barton would probably have a better chance you know because he has better value um yeah but will also has got some things that they need you know it, it, it's it's a weird dynamic the one that's yeah. uh, weird right now is mike porter jr and whatever his situation is uh they're really counting on him to be good but the problem and 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 you know I'll, I'll i'll throw this out there one of the reasons is uh denver's not a destination for free agents so they really have to count on these players developing internally they really do all of that or they have to make a, a a trade a blockbuster trade and i personally don't see them trading for james harden i, I just don't see it happening that's just just my view. I don't either. I mean, I guess our fan, my fantasy is to do the three way and to get to get Ben Simmons, but I guess that's the fantasy. But uh, Ben Simmons uh, would work perfectly on um, this team. Ben Simmons would be perfect on this team. Absolutely, one hundred percent fit like a glove. Yeah. So yeah, that's the one. I I I'm I'm optimistic about MPJ. I, I'm worried that he would want to leave. You know, you still don't know what's going on at the back. There's all this weirdness. He's not playing tonight. Who knows why. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm not for trading MPJ, but but Ben Simmons would be something that would open up my eyes. But uh, you know, I, I don't have I don't have Connolly's talent scout um, area. All I know is just it's frustrating because because Jokic is playing so good, the offense is clicking so good, but we just have this glaring hole that it, that it's like, are they really going to ride try to ride it out without it? And I don't know. Maybe there's a way to work it where Gary really just does come off the bench and you have more Dozier. Um, what do you think of PJ? What do you think of PJ? I, I love PJ. I mean, I, you know, he's also his his shooting isn't great, so um, you know, but it, it doesn't. They aren't at least treating him like Tory Craig yet. You know, they at least guard him, um, yeah. and he's very he's very versatile. Uh, I don't think he's a four. This is my no, number one complaint is. about the season no. so far this year. <laughs> Gary PJ Dozier and Will Barton are not fours, and I don't understand that. I don't understand that lineup that we've gone to quite a bit. It gets me very frustrated on the couch out here in Oakland. Um, but uh, when he's a three or a two, I, I like him. And I mean, he's better than Gary right now, right? I mean, yeah. we can, can we just? 
That's yeah. true. Is that not true? He's yeah. better than Gary right now. Taller, so longer Gary's playing reach. 30 minutes and he's playing 12. Yeah. yeah, Gary's playing 30 minutes, he's playing 12. I don't get that. So I don't know. I mean, is a rotation with Jamal, Dozier, Barton, Millsap, Jamichael Green, MPJ, and, you know, uh, who am I forgetting? Uh, Jokic. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, and then you have Gary as your eighth man. That's oh, workable. And Monte, you got Monte, I'm forgetting Monte. You're forgetting the superstar, Faku Campasso. I'm not sold on Faku. <laughs> I'm not sold on Faku. It's fun. It's fun having him out there. But um, with Jokic, I like, you know. He's been lighting and it up, I guess man. it works as you – and you know the Jokic bench, Jokic with the bench guys, the Jokic with the bench mob has been fun. Yeah, right, right. That's your that's your stagger thing. That's that you my think, stagger. You know, yes. you're in the front of. Obviously, obviously, Malone's listening to this podcast. But, uh, <laughs> the Jokic, Jokic with the bench mob has been fun. Uh-huh. So I don't know. There's workable ways. Maybe maybe it's more PJ. And I'm just thinking about the wing, you know, a PJ and Barton and MPJ. Um, maybe that's maybe that's workable, but I don't, I, I don't know. It, it, fe- it feels like so- it feels like there's something missing there. there. There's something missing, but I think they're, they're they're good enough to let it kind of hold water. I mean, they're 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 not they're not going to the the one and four start was not indicative of who they are. So even without Mike Ford Jr., are we there, sure? Are we sure? I, I, I are we sure? They, I, think so. I mean, they've only beaten Minnesota twice without Carl Anthony Towns. So who was the other? We'll, I don't know when this is going to air. We've got Dallas now tonight. What was the other team they beat? Uh, no, they beat them twice. Minnesota twice. Yeah, I know, but they they have one other win. It's uh, uh, Houston. They beat Houston, um, but Houston like was missing half the but team. It's terrible. Yeah, and they're not good right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah but I, so I, they haven't I, beaten anybody good. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, like, look, tonight it's going to be a test. But Dallas hasn't exactly been burning it up either. So no, I I, Dallas kind of stinks. I think I didn't really realize. I, I guess I watched them on Christmas, and I didn't realize how thin they were behind oh, yeah. behind Luca. They're well, very they, thin. They're really missing uh, Porzingis, uh, and he's going to be perpetually. So, so okay. So my other pet peeve. I'm, I have to give you all my pet peeves from my Nuggets WhatsApp chain, so they all can you know uh, know what our concern. So you can relay our concerns to your friends in the front office. But got it. Got it. She could, shouldn't couldn't is, isn't there just like a six seven, you know, G League wing that we could have on the roster instead of Canchar? I mean, God bless Canchar. Uh, I mean, they just they can't find somebody who's just six seven, who just is a wing. Did you, like you know, there's nobody out there. Uh, did you see um, that picture of Vladko with the muscles? Hmm? Okay, he's he's got the muscles. I'm not. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm not into the big muscles. That's not my. It's not for me. It's not for no judging if that's for you. He does have big muscles, but I don't know what he's adding. And, uh, uh, you know, it feels like we need a wing. I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's the end of the bench. He's a guy that never plays. Um, good buddies with Jokic. Uh, they're from the same area. Yeah, that's nice. So I think, um, you know, that helps on a team where he needs a, you know, guy he can relate to. Um, so yeah, I think that's his purpose, but I'm more concerned that, that they have like a million guards to be quite honest with you. That's, yeah. uh, there's, there's far too many guards on this team. Uh, they, they have too many guards and not enough. Yeah, money. this is what I'm saying. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, it would be nice to sort of whatever, you know, have Ben Simmons, but like, this is, you know, we talked in politics, always like, this is like West Wing fantasy talk when somebody's like, why don't we do this thing that's like only what happened on a TV show? Like, so, so Ben getting Ben Simmons is, you know, just kind of whatever fantasy talk for us on our WhatsApp chain, but but like there's just got to be a way to get somebody that's a, that's six foot seven that could go that can guard on the wing and play 15 minutes like so i mean that would just make a big difference if there's somebody who could play 15 minutes as an actual three right so you're looking for a three and d guy just a just a guy who can shoot yeah. corner shoot threes and then d up on the other end basically yeah right uh so like you're looking for robert covington basically yeah, who, who the Blazers wasted two draft picks on? That was such a dumb trade. I, I I was I was impressed with that trade to start, and now I'm looking at it like, boy, that that, yes. that made no sense. Same because I <laughs> traded for Covington in my two K one. I don't think the Bulls would do this, but just so you know, I'm sorry to Gary and Barton, but on on two K twenty one, I have I did package them for Otto Porter. So uh, my version of the Nuggets still has Faku, but we have a we have a we at least have a small forward besides besides Michael Porter Jr. Uh, so that's nice. Otto Porter or uh how about Zach Levine? I love Zach Levine, but I don't you know I, I don't know if him and Jokic are a good fit. I don't know either, but I mean, it's I, I I think that could work. I think if both of those guys could work to be honest with you. But uh they, you know, you never know what the future holds, and I, I hope that I hope they at least get their roster kind of more consolidated. That's really the goal. So yeah, um, well, playing just less guys has helped, honestly, and just in reality, like the last couple of games, shortening the rotation has helped. And they got the stagger. We'll see. So I mean, that's how the you stagger. Do it. <laughs> that's how you do it. <laughs> it, it. It's all about the stagger, man. It's all about the stagger. <laughs> I kept thinking of 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 Phil Jackson staggering michael jordan and scotty pippen i'm like yeah that's how you do it <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> look to the 90s bulls when it's in exactly, doubt right <laughs> all right well i've got to uh mercifully uh let uh, tim go here um he's been very very good enough to to indulge me for almost two hours here so tim i appreciate it like i said i was very serious um, you have open invitation every time you want to come on. Um, I enjoy talking both politics and nuggets. So, uh, okay, we'll we'll do it. All star break time. Get nuggets, nuggets for it. We'll, we'll we'll flip it for people. We'll give people their nuggets candy first and make them stay for the spinach of politics. Well, second, right, right. It's, it's like it's like giving them doing the airplane things, kids. Right. <laughs> yeah. Here it is. <laughs> All right. Thanks, uh, and we'll talk. All right, to we'll you. see you, man. Go nuggets. All right.